Hey gang, welcome to the Your Basket is Empty pod, a space where I sit down with agencies, brands, and original e-com thinkers to discuss their journey, practical advice, and how they're navigating the current digital landscape. Your Basket is Empty is also a bi-monthly industry newsletter that covers the most interesting e-com and direct consumer news, interviews with original e-com thinkers, a jobs board, an event listing section, and a playlist. Go check that out at yourbasketisempty.com. On episode 69, I sit down with Gavin Ballard. Gav is the founder of Submarine, a platform that lets brands build truly flexible customer experiences that drive revenue and fix operations. It's a product he built in response to the work he's done in the past decade as the founder of inaugural Shopify Plus agency partner, Disco Labs. We discuss how a love of Shopify led to the creation of Disco Labs, why they decided to pivot from an agency to a product, the challenges of process transition when pivoting, why being at the coalface of client issues helps with product development, submarines go to market through their existing agency partner network, the importance of the developer experience, and a revolutionary new paradigm in online retail, flexible commerce. Enjoy the episode. Gav, welcome to the pod. How are you and where are you? Thank you very much, Tim. I am in, I'd say, sunny Melbourne, Australia. It's not that sunny at the moment. It's evening, but generally, summer is over. Uh, I'm there in a couple of weeks, and I feel like I am underpacked. Would you advise jumpers? You're wearing a jumper. I literally was not going to bring a jumper. Yeah, I hate to say it, but um, March in Melbourne especially. Once you're up north, you'll be fine, but Melbourne, bring a jumper. Yeah, of course, we'll be up in Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to Perth as well, and that looks hot all the time, and then Adelaide's usually pretty warm. Yeah, so I was hoping to pack incredibly light, but I think I'm going to have to be a little bit more uh, cautious with my attire choices. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that aside, <laughs> although that's a very interesting topic, um, I like to rewind a bit, and your story is a very, very interesting one. Let's go kind of like back to the Disco Labs days, and maybe you can talk me through those early days and then kind of like how that's transitioned to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, My background is as a software engineer. That's what I love doing. That's what I did at uni, uh, uh, aside from a brief stint as a lawyer, but we won't talk about that. Um, And so while I was doing kind of a freelance software digital nomad type of thing, I fell into the Shopify ecosystem, just happened to find a client that was into it. And that was 11 or 12 years ago, I think. And just really loved the platform. It was really interesting. It was... um, exciting there was a lot of stuff happening um from a dev perspective um sort of like shopify at the moment i think in a lot of ways actually even though it's obviously a much bigger ecosystem really loved it and just just dove into it and because of my software background i was really focused around back-end integrations and software that grew over time next logical step was hire some more people to help me out do that and so we started disco labs uh, which ran as a as a sort of high-end agency for software development integration. And because of that specialization, we tended to work with with some of the largest brands on the platform. Um, so lots of interesting stuff there. And, and that sort of evolved through to now where we decided to make a bit of a pivot and turn to a product company. Nice. So uh, we were talking about it just before the call, slightly romantic view of the agency world. So to pivot into a product. So it's really interesting to be talking to somebody that's like in in pivot. So I suppose first and foremost, like why the pivot? And then maybe you can talk me through kind of the mechanics of it. Like how does an agency actually pivot into a product? 
So I think if you talk to almost any agency owner or at least any sane agency owner, they will tell you, I want to do products because, I mean, there is probably a little bit of grass is always greener on the other side, but uh, running an agency is is hard. Not that running a product company isn't hard, but um, there's lots of channel uh, challenges. There's definitely an element of, of being on a treadmill. And even if you're growing and successful and, and doing it well, there's a lot of looking for you know it's feast or famine so you've got really mm-hmm. lumpy income you're always looking for your next big deal you would know you would know this uh better than better than anyone else and at the end of the day it doesn't matter if you've got work coming in or not you've got mounts to feed and salaries to pay um so it, it's quite stressful at times and challenging there's a lot of advantages to it as well like it's, it's great being able to work with a lot of different brands and working on different things and not just focusing on one single tiny corner of a piece of software for a very long period of time but ultimately i think for, for me there was a combination of things sort of during covid it was obviously a pretty tough time for everyone but it really made everyone think about, hey, what do I actually want to be doing? And for me, as a software engineer, I've always really loved products. As an agency, we'd seen these needs in the market that we were servicing, and we knew we could write software to solve it because we'd been doing it for five or six years um, just on a one-on-one basis. So to me, the, the challenge to say, can we take that, build it into a product, and make that accessible to, to merchants on a bigger scale than we've been able to do one-on-one with an agency that was really exciting um so that's that's kind of why we launched into that nice and so i'm I'm really curious about like did you have to like retool the team completely i mean you're saying in the shopify space so i imagine that is an advantage right like if you went totally into something else like fintech or insure tech or whatever i imagine it would have been more challenging but like was was the kind of internal pivot you know was that or is it easy, you know, right tooling, you know, product people just shift, you know, because, you know, you were kind of dealing with products a little bit anyway because it was such high end and it was kind of custom stuff anyway? Yeah, we, we probably had a couple of cheat codes in that transition, one of which was because as an agency we were focused very much on building custom software for merchants at a large scale, we actually operate, and, and probably also because of my software engineering background, we were running a lot closer to a product company would rather than an agency um, or a traditional agency. So we had three-week development cycles, we had a jog week, we had sprint weeks, we had point-based estimation, we had all of that sort of stuff while we were an agency. And that caused some friction with with brands we were used to working with a more typical agency, oh my God, we've got to get this stuff done right away, throw everything at wall model. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that made the transition a little bit easier. And, and the, another big thing was really we'd, we'd sort of seen the opportunity for a product earlier on. And we actually had the ver- first version of Submarine was an in-house agency product that we'd sort of built to help us deliver projects for clients at a time. So we sort of already knew that there was something there and we had the foundations for what Submarine is now. So they were kind of two, two advantages that made it a little bit easier. Um, the biggest challenge was process transition, I think, really, mm. and, and going from um, letting our roadmap be dictated by what clients are paying us to do and making that decision for ourselves and deciding what we invest in, what's the timeline for that, um, what's the ROI on that, when we yep. get that shipped, 
um, and sort of having a lot more control over our own product destiny is both good but also means you've got to take a lot more responsibility for it. Um, so I think that was kind of the biggest biggest thing. Um, we, we were able to ma- make the transition with the entire team intact. Um, again, from an engineering perspective, there wasn't a huge jump. We had um, one of our project managers moved into more of a customer success slash support role um, and is heading that up, but obviously really successful in the role because she'd been doing that essentially for existing merchants anyway. Uh, and then we had another project manager that, that took on more of a product manager role. Um, and, and that was something that aligned with their career goals anyway. So we were lucky in that it all sort of shifted over quite naturally and um, from a people perspective. Yeah, nice. So we've kind of mentioned it already. Submarine is the product. Um, maybe quick TLDR on what Submarine is, but I'm probably more curious in like what does the sort of ideal Submarine customer look like and what problems do you solve for the Submarine customer? Yeah, so like all good products, I think it came from uh, a real-world itch that we needed to scratch. As an agency, basically, we were working with a lot of larger brands that were coming to us to solve problems that they had around, I guess I'd say around payments, but more broadly around um, customer experiences. So sort of anything that was beyond a one-time transaction that a, that a customer would have where they bought a, an item on a store. So it could be anything from sort of subscriptions to a pre-sale model to crowdfunding to tokenizing customer cards and sending them off to an external ARP. Um, Anything where, yeah, the payment flow was a little bit funky and there was a a business model around that. And for a lot of merchants, that's a really important part of their brand experience. So if you're a ready-made meals delivery company, then subscriptions is really, really essential for you. If you're a collectibles brand, then being able to launch a a pre-sale and having a limited amount while generating a lot of hype is, is a critical part of your business model. And the reason that these brands were coming to talk to us was they couldn't find off-the-shelf solutions that were customizable enough for what they needed, either because the customer experience just, I don't want to say sucked, but they weren't able to tailor it to what their brand wanted and needed, whether that's just like visually in terms of, hey, we want to run a crowdfunding campaign and we don't want to push it off to an external Kickstarter site. We want it to be on our website with our brand and have 100% our feel to it um, or if it's to like how a customer manages a subscription on the back end and puts together their meal plans and things like that or whether it was on the back office where it's well we want to be able to capture um, tokenized credit cards and pass it off into NetSuite as our ERP because we have a membership system that uses it externally or where a we're a Japanese um, supplements company and we need to offer this particular payment method for our subscriptions. So flexibility, I think, is the one thing that I would sum up um, all of those needs. Being, uh, the, the reason those brands were coming to us was the existing stuff just didn't have that flexibility and we were building custom software for them time and time again to solve that, whether it was, hey, here's a completely custom customer portal for your subscription customers or here's the back-end stuff that we need to do to, to hook into that ERP or your delivery zones logic and, and make sure that your subscription orders are obeying the same rules that your regular orders do. Um, and once you've done that a few times, we, we started building up the tools internally to make that easier for us to, li- to deliver and that was the first version of, of Submarine. So 
to sub, uh, sum up that very long-winded answer to your question, I, Submarines, are, it's a software platform for building these really bespoke customer experiences where you really need to be able to deliver something super flexible to a customer or where your operations and your business logic demands that you work in a certain way. And you just, in general, you're never going to get that with completely off-the-shelf software, but we're getting as close to that as we, as we can with our platform. Yeah, yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, it's 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 a, it's a great story, I imagine, for investors as well, right? Like that transition because you were the agency doing that multiple times with multiple clients, and it's a bit of a no-brainer to sort of look at some sort of consistency or home, you know, homogenous nature of all of that work and put it into a platform, right? It feels like a, a very natural agency to to product pivot. Um, speaking of agencies. <laughs> you know, agencies were a big part of the Disco Labs kind of model, you know, working with a bunch of, um, you know, we did work at WeMake and, and you had a bunch of other um, great agency relationships. And, and it feels like Submarine is also going to be quite heavily sort of agency friendly, right? You know, it's a platform that they can build on and do all this cool stuff for their clients who have got these kind of acute problems. So I suppose how you... You obviously know the agency community, so it's a it's a bit of an odd one, right? You know them, and now you're pivoting into a product. How have you been reaching out to them? How have you been engaging agencies? And sort of how important is that agency community to the you know the um, the go to market of submarine? Yeah, I think in making the transition in in a certain way, we haven't fully appreciated how much of a head start we might have on a completely fresh app that's coming to the ecosystem for the first time. I mean, just the fact that we were an agency for so many years i mean a we've got the networks for that and and even when we were an agency we were very specialized we were focused on building custom software that other people generally couldn't do so we were kind of troubleshooters that got brought in to sort that out and as a result we had really close good working relationships with a lot of agencies like we may um, where we weren't competitors we were sort of value adds for, for those agencies so we've kind of rolled that over into into submarine as well and so we've got those existing networks and we can we can lean on them um and and i think a lot of the things that we do as a product are similar to what we do as an agency you know we we pitch ourselves as having really deep technical knowledge of the shopify platform and just software in general um very much as problem solvers so you know your merchant needs to do x well this is how we've done x three times in three different ways over here these are your options. Let's get this sorted, and and don't let that be a blocker to you selling a project to a client. Um, doing that sort of stuff really cleanly in a way that works with the Shopify ecosystem and isn't going to cause problems down the line. And then support was always a really big thing that we offered. Um, you know, we're very accessible both from an engineering and a solutions perspective. I think the fact that I've been in the, the Shopify ecosystem for a long time means that people are aware that we've got that deep knowledge and that we we do go the extra mile to, to deliver support. So that's all kind of the same. And then I think some of the stuff that is kind of a bit different um, with us moving into that product space, but is still really important for those agencies. And we've sort of found this out by talking to the agencies and interviewing them and, and really understanding what their motivations and what their needs are. But um, one of them is, is around the developer experience. And I, I really don't think that anyone in the app ecosystem in Shopify has really nailed developer experience 100% and, and how important it is. So first class um, API docs, modern APIs, and the tooling and support for those developers of the agencies. 
So we're putting a, a real premium on that because at the end of the day, we're no longer the ones that are building on top of the platform. It's other agencies and, and they're not going to know the tools as well as, as we do. So we need to make it as easy as possible for them. Um, and then from a, a bigger picture sort of sales perspective, it's really being clear about the value prop that Submarine has and how that's going to help an agency's clients, but also how that's going to help the agencies. And ultimately that's, you know, being really clear about, hey, these are the types of agency, or sorry, these are the types of merchants that Submarine can help. Um, and this is how you as an agency can pitch a project. So it's, you know, you're an agency, you've got a brand that has a really engaged TikTok following, um, but as an agency, you're on retainer, you've got 80 hours a month that you need to find to, to build stuff for that um, for that merchant. Um, well, have you considered running a crowdfunding campaign with them? And, you know, that's that's something you could do to engage your current audience to get them to talk about your brand to others so you get sort of natural catch, uh, customer acquisition and le- leveraging your brand you're going to generate some bright buzz you're going to be able to do some product research all in one hit so obviously you only pitch it if that's going to be a win for the merchant but if it is then that also makes the agency look really good and it's obviously it's a win for us because it's a it's a potential customer that we acquire so um yeah it's about understanding that triangle of win-win-win and when when to identify those situations and how to pitch it when it when it, when it does arise so um yeah that's kind of been a bit of a, a new change for us it's traditionally people came to us and they're like we have no idea how to do this on, on Shopify. <laughs> <laughs> like well we'll sort that out for you but um <laughs> Yeah, we're, three we're weeks of, before the launch, and we need a uh, we need a custom crowdfunding engine. Can you build it? <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah. like it's a little bit of transitioning from being um, being a, a painkiller to a vitamin. Um, and you yeah, know, we still want to be a painkiller and be the first tool of choice when you're like, oh, I've got no idea how to do this. But the folks at Submarine will probably have an idea. Um, we still think we've got a really good offering in that that realm, but also in a hey, I think there's an opportunity here to really grow this brand and, and develop something that's a win for, for this customer. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a change as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine that, that that's like an interesting transition and it's like, you know, which obviously already thinking about it, but like trying to wean away from the kind of like agency partner support model to, hey, this is a platform. We're going to make it as good an experience for your developers to to build on. You don't really need us. We're here to do that value add stuff of like, how can we help you with your retainer program and get your clients stickier to you? Here's some interesting insights and all the stuff that we can do through the platform, which is ultimately the holy grail of partnership programs, right? And I think it's interesting. I talk to loads of partner people and it's really hard not to crack. And and I think I know why. I think a lot of it is because agencies... Um, are really busy. You know, the, the reasons you mentioned at the start why you're pivoting into a product are why agencies are busy and, and hence why I think maybe more traditional partner programs and especially if you've got a, a product that's a bit more like, you know, um, plug in and play, it can be difficult to add, add that value, you know. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, kind of the holy grail. You mentioned something uh, sort of earlier on in the conversation which I thought was very interesting and that is that Submarine is kind of like, uh, a flexible concept, right? So you've been sort of coining or championing a new ethos, shall we say, a a, a new um, uh, way of thinking within the e-commerce community, and that is flexible commerce, which I quite like. But I'm curious from your perspective, like, you know, what is it? Why do you think it's important? And how are you kind of trying to um, 
to instill it within the the, the econ community. I think a revolutionary paradigm is how we're trying to pitch it. <laughs> I like that. I like uh, revolutionary paradigm. No, no, that's that's me getting my thought leader on. Uh, I think I think flexible commerce is something that I've been thinking about for a while, and I like as a general idea or gist or, or zeitgeist um, to throw another word out there. I think others are thinking about this too, and, and I think you kind of see it most commonly expressed as um, headless commerce or composable commerce. Yeah. Um, things like the Mac Alliance are kind of. Uh, pushing that but I, I think I think a lot of those terms are a bit too limiting in that that they seem quite technology focused and they don't yep. necessarily look at the, the bigger picture and I think um, in, in a nutshell where I think all of these ideas or paradigms are coming from is that commerce is getting more and more complex because more and more of it is moving online and it's getting more and more global. So, you know, brands selling everywhere. Um, what you have to do to succeed or to grow as an e-commerce brand is getting more advanced, like the different channels that you need to sell into, the tools you need to be aware of, the marketing strategy you need to use. So just in general, innovation advances means stuff is getting more complex and more global. And as a result of that, there is it's really hard, if not impossible, to find a one-size-fits-all tool that is going to work for for your brand. Maybe when you're very first starting out, like that's your tooling is the, the least of your worries. But as you grow, there just aren't those Swiss Army knife platforms that are going to do everything in a one-size-fits-all manner. So the question then becomes, if you're a brand or an e-com operator, how do you pick the best-in-class tools for what you need to do, whether it's best-in-class email platform, best-in-class paid marketing platform, best-in-class fulfillment, and how do you bring them together to work in a way that is um, is optimal, that, that works and plays together nicely? But also, and, and there's an element of that in the composable um, thinking, but... Beyond that, it's also about how that system works over time and how you can iterate on that system and how if you're expanding to a new market, how how flexible is that system to be able to deploy yep. really quickly. Um, so there's definitely a technological part to it, but there's also just a sort of general approach, which is about um, being able to be really agile with testing new ideas and adapting quickly adapting to changes in the market. I mean, you know, things like things like COVID are a really um, great example, um, uh, all the negatives aside, of a massive shift in, in e-commerce, both, both when it initially happened and then when it's kind of rolled back. Um, and if you're subscribing to a flexible commerce philosophy, then... In theory, your your tooling and your systems and your business should be a lot more resilient to those sorts of changes because you can adapt really quickly. We saw at the start of the pandemic a lot of businesses that did adapt really quickly and and, and succeeded a lot as a result. Um, and on the flip side, those that didn't really struggle. So um, yeah, it's it's kind of a, a combination of that composability of being agile, um, of being able to respond to situations, um, and, and doing that sort of globally yeah it's so interesting i feel like well firstly 
I believe both from experience and just generally my sense in the market is, yeah, the composable and headless is, is super confusing. The amount of sort of like content out there, like people having to actually, you know, amongst the tech nerds, you know, go and explain the difference. So as a brand, how are they going to get it? Because it is a very technical sort of like way of thinking. So the flexible and modularity, I think, is another key component to it there. It's like, okay, this thing's flexible. You can pop things in and out as your business grows. That to me is both, yeah, that's technical enough without it being too net technical and then it resonates with somebody that, that isn't technical of which there are plenty of people on the brand side that aren't, right? Yeah, and I, I think unlike the terms headless or composable, I, I don't sort of see flexible commerce. It's not a stamp that you put on a box of a tech and say this is, yes, this is flexible commerce approved. Um, it's um, it's a lot more of a, it's a sliding scale. It's a philosophy. Yeah. It's not, um, yeah, it's not a one-size-fits-all um label to, to apply to things yeah and I, mean, I think it speaks to a wider question and i've been struggling with it myself i'm like what does it mean to be a brand in 2023 like you know legacy retailer seems really like a horrible thing to say a place that <laughs> on a brand like i remember we'd have uh, we'd have like we had like two buckets of customers and i think one of them we called like legacy retailers and it felt like this person was you know it was like an like an old someone in an old folks home right it wasn't exactly a very uplifting or you know inspiring sort of uh critique or analysis of of the brand so and and, and i think it's interesting shopify trying to there was a thing they had a while ago i don't know where it went remember they had a thing called like connect to customer or something like that they were trying to drop they dropped direct consumer and then they were like the new paradigm is direct to con- I don't know, what was it? yeah connect with customer or something like that there was maybe like two editions ago they tried uh, to roll yes. it out and then I was like, okay, I get where they're going with this. They're trying to, they're trying to redefine like, well, what does it mean? Because direct consumer is obviously valid, but it's it's a much broader concept. Like you say, it's much more global and complex. And and what does that mean? But yeah, I think flexible is is a very interesting way of talking about it. And I, I think there's also an element of just like being a modern brand. To me, a modern brand is sort of timeless, right? You're just modern at the, at whatever period time you're thinking about. And if you're a modern brand. At the moment, you're probably having to think about your fucking supply chain and how sustainable it is. Like that's a thing you need to be thinking about. But you're also probably quite conscious about what the digital touch points look like and you're really, really obsessed with like customer experience. And therefore, you need to be thinking about your business from a flexible point of view because the world is sort of like got so much volatility kind of baked into it. So, yeah, I think it's interesting sort of we're all taking <laughs> stabs at like what does the new kind of paradigm look like and i think i i like the i like the flexible like kind of like option makes sense to me it, it's I'm nice it. it's nice and fuzzy and you don't need to pay 10 grand a year to be a member of it so <laughs> <laughs> exactly well that brings me on to another interesting question and um so commerce tools and the mark alliance gang well they're all kind of like one gang right but a theory of mine is I talked about it in my newsletter today, I talked about Shopify being this gorilla. So my theory is that there'll be like this platform cage match between commerce tools and the Mark Alliance gang and Shopify. Do you agree with that? Do you disagree? I suppose generally what's your take on the, the, the platform market? We've got a lot of sort of nascent players coming in, commerce layer, Centra, mainly headless stuff, but like pack, fabric still in there somewhere, I assume, big comment, like, you know, Magento, pfft, to know about you know like it's a weird world right what's your take 
Yeah, this is where I wish I had a bit more knowledge about UFC or something so I could make some more, <laughs> more pertinent references. Some good analogy. Well, yeah, yes. who's, who's the Conor McGregor of the, uh, of the platform? That's a name I, I know. know. That's a name I know. Yeah. That's about yeah. Where, where I stopped. No, I, um, yeah. yeah, look, I, I don't know if it's going to be like a, a one-on-one cage match between Shopify and, and Commerce Tools. Um, or, or any of the, the – and this is where I think we come down to that thing about Headless being this stamp that's applied to all of those, you know, the commerce tools and and, and Swell or Fabric or um, Centro or all these new newer things. Um, it's like, yeah, that's a technical feature of them, but it's not necessarily how they – work and i think if you're going to say you're a headless or you're a composable platform then one of the really important things to think about is like what what are you actually composable with and mm. that's i think where shopify is the 800 pound gorilla in the room is is its ecosystem and no mm. one else is able to match that even the players that have been around for a very long time like magento um which have strong ecosystems, but it's not an ecosystem that's growing and it's not an ecosystem that is the first place that people start, um, in my opinion. Magento fans uh, may, may disagree. Um, and I think one of the things that people really underestimate about um, Shopify when it comes to headless slash composable is that no matter what approach you take with um, your e-com stack, there is going to be something that is the backbone that is stitching it all together. It could be e-commerce tools. It could be um, Magento. It could be Fabric. It could be whatever. But it could be Shopify. And and that's really one of the big um, values of, of Shopify, I think, is that it is sitting there as that, um, that central layer. It's mm-hmm. got a standardized API so people know how to interact with it and it then becomes a pluggable thing so it is actually composable um and and maybe it doesn't do as great a job in some instances as of that as as other platforms do but it's still serving that function and it's got the ecosystem behind it and it's got a lot of like really powerful really um useful things built into it from from day one so I actually kind of think everyone's heading in the same direction. Like rather than it being a cage match where two people are fight- fighting against each other, it's more of a it's more of a, a race. Here we go. I'm working on the analogy as we're talking about it, but it is it is it is it is more of a race where people are you know heading in the same direction, um, and you know obviously different platforms are going to evolve and and still. Steel, I shouldn't say steel, and they're going to acquire different types of customers and yeah, brands yeah, yeah. and use cases and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think directionally, they're actually all kind of headed in the same way. I like that. Yours is a, a much less violent analogy. Like they're all on some, uh, you know, half marathon together because it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, I, I just keep getting back to even. Um, it's maybe not a UFC analogy, but like WWE. You know, those like death. What did they used to have? Where there was like twenty wrestlers in the ring. And you didn't know who was going to win, and they'd be tapping each other in and out, and all this sort of stuff. I feel like that—that's—that's that's what I've got in my head. But it's probably can we, can we find some cricket analogies that might help me um, <laughs> relate yeah, a bit? A cricket analogy? Yeah, I don't know. I suppose yeah, maybe like an IPL type thing. Then, like it's a bit like the IPL. You know, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I have to think about the cricket analogy. Um, so I want to go back to the kind of top of the conversation and. I'm curious, looking back over the years, and this could be Disco Labs and obviously now into the new incarnation of, of Submarine, but has there been anything that you would have done differently? 
Oh, I mean, so many, so many things. Um, do you mean specifically with like running the agency or the transition yeah, from agency? Like, to- I'm, you know, I'm curious. You've been, you know, like it, it's is a long time, right? And it, it's it feels like you know. Are there any key themes that? A good example being sounds like the move into Shopify was a good one. Would you have done mm. something differently? That, you know, would you have gone on another platform or you know any other kind of like key high level mm. big decisions you've made that you would have done differently or not? You know, you feel like you've you've done them all how you would have, and, and that's it. Yeah, I think, I mean, the the decision to go into Shopify was quite organic and I sort of just fell into it. But there was a sense, I, I guess there is a sense of I fell into it because I was genuinely interested in it and I found it um, to be an exciting ecosystem. So I think there's a, there's a little bit of an element of like, you know, don't pursue, pursue something like choosing a platform just because you think strategically it makes sense, like actually be interested in what you're doing. And if obviously if you're starting out, then that's, um, that's pretty, pretty critical. I think um, I, I would have been interested to, to start the product transition earlier. I think okay. we, we got a lot of, and it's hard to say, like it's it's hindsight is 2020, right? Because yep. um, we got so much value as a product developer from having been an agency for so many years, having been in the trenches, seeing the problems, getting the ideas on what we could build. And that's really, really valuable. Um, so, and you know, I would say to anyone who's, you know, thinking about starting a product company in the e-com or, or, or Shopify space, um, Definitely try and get some experience. Don't just jump jump in from hey, I was product dev over in this ecosystem. I'm jumping in and building an app. Spend some time freelancing, working at agency, getting a real sense for the ecosystem and what the pain points are. But anyway, that's derailing. Um, yeah, but I think just from a running an agency business, I think um, recurring. Rec- Recurring revenue, and that's why product is so appealing from a business owner perspective. Um, I did not have a very good plan for recurring revenue when I started the agency, even though what we did, build custom apps and then run and host to maintain them, is actually very well suited to a recurring revenue model. Um, It wasn't until we were kind of, you know, 60 apps in and hosting a bunch of them that I was like, oh, I really should be charging a lot more money to be keeping these running. Um, So... Yeah, whether that's a retainer or a hosting and maintenance or ongoing strategy work, um, making sure that whatever agency model you have, you've got, hey, I can get to 50% of break even with my recurring just takes so much stress off you as a as an owner and as someone trying to make payroll. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, it's it's the holy grail. And I think there's probably the, the challenge with the professional services model is until you've got a certain reputation, it's hard to get away from project-based work, right? Like you, it, it's the start of the retainer or the recurring revenue. You know, you, you know, you need something to entice the people over. I think people that can bake in, you know, a good way of sort of doing that is the re- recurring revenue is the only model in terms of professional services, right? Like you, you started as a recurring revenue-based professional services company, which is which is interesting. That's not easy, especially if you don't have the track record in the market. But I think another interesting thing for agencies is like uh, alternate revenue streams, right? So the recurring revenue, which again is kind of like not dissimilar to where you guys have got, I think in an agency model, especially Shopify agency model, like the recurring revenue model could come from a product that they spin out. Now, I think the challenge there is that 
running an agency and a product business is quite different, you know, um, yeah, as, as you can test, right? I, so, I am nodding furiously for those not watching the video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that, you know, that, that that's another option. Um, right, so final question. And this can, this is this is both you and Submarine and, and, and Vic and your little one, the whole lot. Like, where are you in five years? Ooh, interesting. Um, I think the answer is kind of boring, which is like, to, to be honest, I, I can still see myself running Submarine. <laughs> yep. um, I think now that I've made the so background as a software engineer, now I've sort of made the transition fully to focusing on building the company. Um, so I don't build software anymore. I build a team and the company that that team uh, consists of. And for me, yeah, that, the the ambitions that I have for Submarine and where I think we can get to, um, there's a lot of interesting growth points along the way. So, you know, we've got a huge product roadmap. We've got the ambition to sort of be a core part of global e-com infrastructure. Um, so I kind of want to be along for that ride. So, um yeah, to, to me, there's there's a world of opportunity with with submarine. So I think I'll still be, I think I'll still be doing that. We'll nice. check in in five years. Yeah, if you're if you're a, if your basket is empty, you're still running. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah, that, will you still that, be a Collingwood supporter? That's an unfortunately lifelong <laughs> affliction, and <laughs> I I can't help that. I'm sorry, God help that. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, uh, Gav, I think that's a great way to end the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Tim. There you go, folks. Thanks so much for joining me. If you liked the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all of your mates to do the same. I'll see you next time.